I'm Amy Porterfield, and this is Talking Body. Did you know that a softshell crab isn't a type of crab? I know, stay with me here. I used to think a softshell crab was its own species, but then I found out that it's simply a term for any crab that's molted or shed its shell. These little creatures scuttling sideways across the ocean floor, I can just imagine them deciding one day to cast off their armor and reveal their vulnerable flesh to the world only to get plucked from the sea and sent off to be consumed. Dear listener, I have never felt closer to the softshell crab as I did up on this stage talking about my body in front of 4,000 people. So Amy is one of my best friends, and Amy and I had a trip, and we had a really interesting conversation on this trip, and I challenged her in like 17 different, I was like, that's a book, that's a podcast, it's a conversation we have to have. And I asked her if she would come and sit with me in front of you all and have this conversation in front of you all. And um, I I want you to honor and hold space for her because it's very vulnerable for her. Hold on, not so fast. Let's take a step back. That voice you just heard is my friend Rachel Hollis, and we're getting ready to speak on her stage. It's at a conference called Rise, and it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. Look, I'm asked to speak at a lot of conferences about online marketing and growing a business. Truthfully, it's mostly men, mostly white men, and there's a lot of focus on dominating an industry or crushing sales targets. But Rise is different. Imagine a stadium with thousands of women from all walks of life, old, young, successful CEOs, and moms with the side hustle who are just starting out. The music, the workbooks, the smiling volunteers, it's all designed to feel familiar and comfortable for the women who participate. But that's a great thing because they're about to be plunged headfirst into completely unknown territory. Over the course of three days, these women are asked to self-reflect in a way that we don't often give ourselves permission to. They're asked to own their past, present, and future, and they're given permission to speak into existence desires long thought too self-centered to utter out loud. Things like, I want to quit my job, or I don't want to have any more kids, or I want to get plastic surgery. They confess to things like addiction, sexual frustration, and yelling at their children. Afterwards, they're met with unconditional understanding from women around them. It's a powerful experience. So when Rachel called me up one day and said, I want us to talk about body image on this stage for these women, I felt not only fear, but an enormous responsibility The women who come to the RISE conference make a commitment to be vulnerable, and who was I to opt out of that? Just because I was the one on the stage instead of in the stands? I don't want to be that woman. The one who pretends to have it all together, pretends she's never looked in the mirror and hated what she saw. So, I said yes. 
And so we went on this trip, right? So (laughs) she's been on this health journey and she has done it in such a healthy way, Mm -hmm. got a nutritionist, really encountered it in a beautiful, healthy way. Um, And then tell us where you are now and sort of what that's prompting in you. Okay, so what happened was we were driving um, and together on this little trip we took and I was telling her, I'm so glad I've been able to get the weight off and and I've done all this work. Um, But one thing I said when we were driving is I still care deeply what people think of me Mm -hmm. and I still care deeply about how I look and how I show up and I knew there was still some work to be done because I want to get to a place that I don't care what anybody thinks about how I look. I don't care if they think I'm fat or thin or sexy or not. I genuinely want to stand in how I feel and how I think. And I know I'm on the journey to get there. I've done so much work over the last year or so, but that is a place that I feel like I'd be unstoppable. One of the things that you say as your friend Mm -hmm. that I hate. I'm not going to like this. Is you always say, you do, you always say, I'm not at my goal weight. I was going to tell all of you, but I'm not at my goal weight. I feel like I need to say that. what the hell is a goal weight? Like, what is that going to, how are you going to be a different person at a goal? Like, how, it's not going to change you. And you're still going to be insecure about how you look because there's always another mountain. Okay, and when we talked about that, that was the first time I thought about that, like, holy cow. Like, what, how am I going to be at that goal weight different than how I am sitting here right now with you? Yeah. And I don't have to be any different. Yes. And I think that's the journey that I, I definitely am still on. Yeah, it's like, how do you get from that place of thinking if, and, and so many women do this, right? We think, if... I could do this, then I will be happy. That's what she said. If I could be cute in a bathing suit, then I would have more friends or people would like me. If then, if then. And the reality is it's geography, meaning like it's going to be you with all your baggage and all your crap and all of this voice in your head because you're not dealing with that. In a diff, yeah, the geography is going to change. You're going to be in a different state of life. Maybe the body's going to be physically different, but you're not fixing what the real stuff is. That's the thing. So what I've had to do over this journey is, you and I have talked about, I have to show up differently. And over the last year and a half, so it was funny, I, I, I'm really into my business, so a lot of how I think is business-minded. And I went to this woman to help me with some marketing uh, copy. And her job is to whittle your whole existence down into one word. So I spent thousands of dollars for two days. Yeah. And she does all this interviewing with you and she talks about your business and your likes and your loves and insecurities and you whittle it down. And when you leave her office, you have one word and I'm like so excited for this. Okay. So so I get in there and we spend these two days. It's grueling. I'm crying and I'm working through stuff and I'm so excited to get my word. And I'm thinking like empowered, influence, uh, like these great words, right? Achiever. And she takes out a piece of paper and she's like, okay, so your word, and she puts it on the table and it's big. The word is big. But she didn't. And I said, fuck no, the word's not big. (laughs) No, 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 no. She meant like personality, capability. She meant everything. And in the moment, like not me, she didn't mean me, but I don't like that word. Your, Your camera angle's off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were looking at this. I looked at the word and I'm like, no, 
in my whole life. But here's the big realization. I looked at that word, and I looked at her like, I'd like my money back now. Like, no. And I looked at her, and I said, no, my word's not big. My whole life I've been trying to be smaller. I don't want to be big in this world, physically big. I don't want to take up too, sm- too much space. Like, my word cannot be big. I don't want that. And she said, and that is why your word is big. You have to accept that. Mm. And I left there completely mad at her and not <laughs> wanting that word. And over, this is what was crazy. Over the course of like six months, I, I thought, well, what else does that word mean? And it really did mean taking up space in a bigger way, having a bigger voice, getting on video and doing my thing in a big way, no matter what, no matter what anyone said, no matter what anyone thought, no matter even what I thought of myself, I had to show up in a bigger way. There are a lot of things I'm good at. It wasn't always easy for me to say that, to stand up and take ownership of my strengths, But I'm a grown woman, and I work in a field dominated by men, and I've always worked really hard to be able to say, I am good at these things. I am good at my job. I help people achieve their dreams by teaching them the tools to build their dream businesses online, and I'm really proud of that. I'm good at being a partner to my husband, Hobie, and a parent to my stepson, Cade. I can also belt out every word of Don't Stop Believing," which makes me pretty fun at parties. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, uh, why did I download a podcast just to listen to this woman list all of her accomplishments? Don't worry, my friend, because here's the really embarrassing part. If you look at all those things that I said I'm good at and you put them on one side of the scale, they wouldn't outweigh all of the bad things I've said about myself. Things like I'm too big, too awkward, too overweight, too fat. I'm too old to be seen as attractive. I take up too much space. If I just lost more weight, I'd be more successful. People likely see me as weak and undisciplined because I can't lose weight. Do these thoughts sound familiar to you? I hope that they don't, but I bet that they do. Growing up in Orange County, California, I experienced a childhood that was so all-American, it bordered on sitcom. My dad was a firefighter and my mom worked as a part-time hairstylist. Now, despite the fact that my mom had a job outside of the home, the gender dynamics between my parents were very traditional. My mom would set out my dad's clothes before he would go on any trip, and she made sure that dinner was on the table every single night that he was home, while my dad called the shots in all family decisions, big or small. One of those, I learned as I got older, was how my mom looked but we'll dig into all of that in a later episode. What are other things in your life that have been the biggest catalysts for change? Because it's like if you need a catalyst for a mindset shift, the idea that you are still letting a man, Hmm. and a man who was in the wrong, he was doing something wrong, Hmm. even if you love him, even if he's your daddy, whatever, you're letting the opinion of a man still control the way you feel about yourself as a woman 40 years later. Right. And so, what's your question? So, (laughs) (laughs) that is a fact. Moving on. Still, my father worked hard to instill a sense of personal strength and autonomy in me. When he was getting ready to leave for a shift at his job, he'd interrupt my sister and me while we were playing house or Barbies or something else, and he'd say, girls, when you grow up, find a way to be your own boss. 
It was a lesson that I would later lean on when it came to my professional life. Now, as an adult, I worked for several years as the content director for one of the most famous motivational speakers of all time, Tony Robbins. I was juggling multiple plates, making big moves, and yet I still struggled with my insecurities. I didn't believe in myself at all, and part of that came from a lack of confidence in how I looked. Later, when I finally decided to take my dad's advice and leave the corporate world to become an entrepreneur, those fears increased tenfold. Now I could no longer hide behind a title or the acclaim of my boss. It was all about me. My face and my body front and center telling prospective customers I could help them make their business a success. It shouldn't have been about the way I looked, but of course, that was part of it. It felt impossible for me to separate those insecurities from building my business. I insisted that any photos I took for my business were from the chest up. I was convinced that people wouldn't buy from me or trust me if they saw what I really look like. I saw other male entrepreneurs make videos from their computer chair and jeans and t-shirts and I began to feel resentful. They didn't carry that fear of not being taken seriously. They relied on their skill and experience as if that were enough. It never felt like enough to me. As it goes for any entrepreneur, my first few years were riddled with mistakes. But whenever a marketing strategy would stall or a webinar would flop, I would be overcome yet again with this crippling sense of not enoughness, which would then tie back into my anxieties about my weight until they were virtually one in the same. In preparation for this podcast, we interviewed dozens of women from all walks of life about how they felt about their bodies. It feels reductive to bring everything back to weight, when in reality, there are so many things about our bodies that we're told are less than. Do you like the way you look? Sometimes. Loving the way that I look has absolutely been a journey. It's a cycle. Some days I wake up and love the way I look and some days I wake up and just want to be a different person. It's not that I necessarily like the way I look. I think I've become more comfortable with what I look like. It's less about thinking about how other people perceive me and more about how I perceive myself. It was so hard for me for so long to like the way that I looked that sometimes I worry that now I don't even know what I really look like because I spent so long trying to develop a positive self-image and like hyping myself up because that's what everybody told me I should do in order to like myself. That sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, that's great. Like you're doing it, you've done it, you're pretty. And then other times I look in the mirror and it looks like an entirely different person and somebody that I think is very unattractive. Uh, And then I am afraid that I don't know which one is what I really look like. It is important for me that other people find me attractive because I I just think that's human nature. I don't know, I don't don't want people to not find me attractive. The perfectionist in me wants to be more perfect, I guess, even though that goes against like my belief system in a way, because I value imperfection and authenticity so much. So in a way, it's kind of like a disconnect with my belief system. And I know logically that everybody just has their own body type. Like there is no such thing as the perfect body that's perfectly symmetrical everywhere in every way. 
but I still kind of notice the areas in which I feel my shape is a little inconsistent or a little odd. I'm trying to like the way that I look. I still feel self-conscious that I'm overweight, but then I think I'm 57 years old and who am I trying to impress at this point? My wife loves me and thinks I'm beautiful. And that's the thing that I work on, on myself is trying to think my own self is beautiful. After my experience on the rise stage, I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about the experience. A while back, I had actually recorded an episode on my own podcast on the subject, and I'm going to be real with you, it felt weird. I have never done anything like that on my own show before. If you look through episodes of the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast, you'll find titles like Email List Growth Strategies and Landing Page Not Converting, Here's What to Do. They were all about results, about action, about business, not personal essays about my body or my feelings. But at the time, I was trying to lose weight. Actively, I should say, because in a way, I am always trying to lose weight. And it felt like I was hiding something huge in my life by not talking about it. I framed the episode as, Why I Hate Video. But in reality, it was an exercise in letting go of shame. I was overweight, I proclaimed to my audience, terrified. But don't worry, I'm working on it. Now, you've likely heard me talk about not loving video as well. And here's the exact words I've used. Live video makes me nervous. Or too many opportunities for tech challenges. I'd rather just not do video. Or I'm just not comfortable on video. And maybe, not often, but maybe you've heard me whisper in between sentences I don't necessarily like the way I look on video. Oh man, that is such an understatement. If I was being really, really honest, which is why I'm creating this episode today, to be brutally open and honest with you right now, I would say, I hate video because I'm embarrassed by my weight. That's the real reason. I look at the videos and I cringe with embarrassment. And what's even harder to say aloud is that I feel ashamed by my weight. Wow, just saying that like literally hurts my heart. But the issue is so much more than just the weight or how I look. So let me tell you a quick story. Once I did a webinar that didn't go so well and I was feeling terrible so instead of chalking it up as part of doing business, you can't win them all, I turned to eating a bunch of cupcakes that had been left over from Cade's birthday party, and I just ate my emotions. I didn't even save any for him, and I bet after school he would have loved an extra cupcake from his birthday. But I just ate through my emotions to the point that my stomach hurt, and I wanted to physically feel my failure. I wanted food to numb the pain. And so after the self-sabotage that often looked just like I explained there, the overwhelm and the stress just takes over. So I hate to admit it, but I think I find worthiness in the fact that I'm so busy. 
like the hustle. If I'm working hard, AKA, if I'm hustling, then I'm earning my success. I think that I need to earn it. And I find significance in my work. So I just work harder and harder. I hustle more and more. It's a vicious cycle and it has contributed to me losing sight of what really matters. So I'm sharing this all with you. I know this is a very different podcast episode than I've ever done before. And believe me, I feel like I'm shaking inside even talking about this stuff now. But I'm sharing this with you for two reasons. Number one, I've had this overwhelming feeling that I wanted to let you in and openly share my struggle with my weight and worthiness and self-acceptance. Selfishly, my hope is that being open and honest with you here, I can slowly melt away the shame and embarrassment. I just want to say it out loud and I want to say it to people that know me and trust me and I feel like you're here for the right reasons. I want to be healthier and happier and feel more alive in all that I do, both professionally and personally. And the second reason, I know that you too may be struggling with a challenge of your own. It might look totally different than mine, but we each have our own thing that we're dealing with. Whatever it is, it's real to you, just like my issue is very real to me. And although I'm not going to give you advice because I too am in it in this moment, I will say that being open and honest and sharing what you want to share about whatever it is that you're struggling with will make you feel more human, less alone, more alive. And I'm learning that I am complete no matter my expectations of myself or others. I'm learning that non-attachment to my expectations is truly my road to freedom and happiness. I'm learning that we are inherently whole, no matter what, and that we are worthy because we exist. That's all, because we exist. That's a hard, hard lesson for me to learn. Maybe you too, but I believe it to be true. I just got to kind of let it sink in and just kind of be with it for a bit to really, really feel it in my bones. I'd love to say the feedback to that episode was affirming and validating, and sometimes it was. Other times it was women and men giving me diet tips. This is real. This is happening. Women are being held back by this invisible standard that's planted into our brains starting from childhood and grows like a weed, whispering over and over that we're not enough. Sometime later, I was talking to Rachel again, and the conversation inevitably turned back to what had happened on the rise stage. It had just felt so special for both of us, I think, even during a weekend full of such special and vulnerable conversations, to connect the insecurities we all feel about our bodies to our aspirations specifically. Because how many times have you felt held back by the way you were perceived by others? How many times have you wanted to sign up for a class or a conference or build a social media page for your side hustle or get on video or update your LinkedIn profile? But just the thought of putting yourself out there, your body on display, felt dangerous, like it was just too much. 
even if no one is saying something to you directly about how you look, is this invisible pressure bearing down from all sides, movies, television, social media, advertising. As our lives become more and more digital, it's easier than ever to assess a never-ending library of women's bodies, which is actually both a blessing and a curse. In the past few years, body positivity has become its own genre of social media and in mainstream media alike. I'm obviously not knocking it. It sure beats the heroin chic I remember from the 90s. Influencers today like Jamila Jamil dedicate valuable real estate on their social media feeds to exposing flat tummy tees as overpriced laxatives or peeling back the curtain on the airbrushing and digital manipulation that goes into creating photo shoots. I can't imagine what it would have meant to me growing up to have access to that information or to images of bodies that look like mine, even if it was just a small refuge in a sea of unattainable standards. But there's something interesting about seeing the idea of real bodies turned into entertainment, something to consume and retweet. I think it still holds the idea of body positivity or loving your body as it is as a trend rather than a norm. How do we combat that? I asked Rachel and she said, why don't we find out? So that's what this podcast is. We're going to try to find out what it will take to combat these impossible standards and create a more inclusive and empathetic space for ourselves and our bodies. One thing I'd like to make clear is that I'm not here to be the teacher on the subject. Body image is something I've struggled with and still struggle with. So I'm here to learn too. There are also so many aspects to this issue that I know are important, but I haven't experienced personally. I love my stepson, but I've never given birth, which I know from speaking with my friends and family changes your relationship with your body in a primal, magical way. I'm also a white, cis, able-bodied woman with a certain level of economic privilege. And while that does not mean that my struggles with how the world demands I look are any less valid, it does mean that there's a whole world of body policing I have never personally experienced, and I want to know about it. So with this podcast, we've established we want to explore, we want to learn, and we want to ally with one another. We also want to amplify voices who can speak to diverse experiences. That means speaking with women from diverse backgrounds, some of which you've already heard from. It means viewing the issues of the physical body through multiple lenses, race, class, age, gender, sometimes devoting whole episodes to these issues, while also making sure these voices are heard across every topic. It also means taking a good hard look at the influence social media has had on women's bodies, because now your body isn't just a tool to move you through physical space. It's a product you use to represent and sell yourself online. I can't be your teacher, but I hope my voice can be your anchor. Together, we can do the hard work of disentangling our self-image from the expectations of the world. And so what's your question? So... <laughs> That is a fact. Moving on. What what I'm asking you is what's another time in your life where you have made drastic change and what kind of catalyst was necessary for that? I think for me, 
It is looking forward, knowing there is so much I want to do. That looking, casting that vision. There's so much I want to do. So many things I want to try in this world. And I really want it bad. And I know that I don't want to struggle to get there. I know I don't want to worry about what my thighs look like every day to do big things in this world. That sounds so stupid even coming out of my but mouth, it's but real. it's real. So it's so freaking it real. You really are not is. the only one who's Thank sitting God. here thinking that stupid thing. It's so ridiculous. But I know I want some big things in my life. And so I want it so bad that I'm willing to get uncomfortable enough to kind of figure out some of these things that are keeping me there. There's a quote by Aaron McKean that has always stuck with me. You don't owe anyone prettiness. Prettiness is not a rent you pay for occupying a space marked female. I've spent so much of my life letting other people dictate how I should look, how I should feel about myself, move throughout the world, how I should dress, what I should eat, and what I was allowed to own about my body. I want to take that power back, but here's the hard part, the part I've been waiting to tell you because I was afraid you would judge me. Afraid it would undermine everything I've claimed I'm setting out to do. I still want to change my body. I'd still like to lose weight. I'd still like to be smaller, more hourglassy. Wear clothes that I've previously labeled in my mind as for skinny girls. And I worry this means that I don't love myself enough because if I loved my body as it was, why do I want to look different? It's a vicious cycle, and it's a big part of the reason I want to do this whole podcast. I'm not so naive to think that I'll spend 12 weeks on a topic others have devoted their lives to and come out the other side having fully solved it, but I am hoping to have more clarity on this big question. Can I love my body and still want to change things about it? Do I need to love my body at all? Back to Aaron McKean's quote, As you've probably noticed by now, we are focusing in the show on women's experiences with body image, not because men do not experience pressure about their appearance, but because women experience a very specific, all-consuming version of that pressure that presses in on all aspects of our lives. Please do not take my word for it. The data is there. We'll get into more in a later episode, but here are some stats to get you started. Research has shown that around 50% of teenage girls in America have reported being unhappy with how their body looked. This number grew to nearly 80% by the time girls reached adulthood. But the indoctrination starts earlier than adolescence, even if that's when we usually become aware of it. A study in 2004 that identified the top 25 movies and media directed toward children found that more than two-thirds of these videos link thinness and physical attractiveness with positive personality traits like kindness, while 75% of the video linked obesity with unfavorable traits like conniving and laziness. These depictions were even more exaggerated in 2010, with 87% of female characters from children's programs depicted as underweight. Almost universally, these characters were also able-bodied. Diets are practically an American rite of passage, but more than one-third of the people who admit to normal dieting will merge into pathological dieting. Roughly one-fourth of those will eventually suffer from a partial or full-on eating disorder. And the very worst statistic? 
only 10% of people suffering from an eating disorder will seek professional help. Now that we've got that out of the way, there's something else I want to make totally clear from the outset. When we talk about women's bodies and women's experiences, we mean all women. Young women, old women, big women, small women, women with disabilities, and women who aren't assigned female at birth, but are every bit women as you or me. Dear listeners, our experiences may be different, but we all have struggled and scraped to make that rent. Here's one last thing about that soft shell crab. It doesn't just lose its shell. The crab outgrows it. And when that shell doesn't serve the crab anymore, when it becomes too restrictive, too limiting, the crab begins the slow and painful process of pushing out from the inside. It bursts forth an exhausting, brutal experience to reveal its truest, softest self to the world before it then begins growing a more fitting skin to live in. Unless, of course, it gets scooped up to become somebody's meal, but we won't think about that. Talking Body is hosted by me, Amy Porterfield. The show is produced and edited by Chelsea Harfouche with production support from Sterling Coates. Episodes are written and researched by Chelsea Harfouche, Celia Ties, and Amy Porterfield. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Special thanks to all the women who participated in the interview and research portion of this podcast. Talking Body is a 3% chance production.